We just want to welcome everyone. If you're a guest, welcome. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. It's just an honor to be a part of this church with you. We want to welcome everyone over in the cafe as well as joining us online. Welcome and happy Father's Day. And as we are continuing in our series through the Gospel of Mark, let me invite you to grab your Mark journals. You know, since it's Father's Day, I was thinking a lot about what it means to be a father, and I ran across a video. And in a moment, I just want to introduce you to someone by way of video. His name is William Reed. He was 66 years old when this video was taken. He's a bodybuilder, sort of a man's man, has one of these great thick, you know, uh, mustaches that looks like if he took it off, it could walk off. It's one of those kind of mustaches. And on his birthday, he received from his family one of the greatest gifts, and it came in the form of a pair of very special glasses. Happy birthday, dear daddy. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> How old are you now? <laughs> oh, there's there's something for you to open. Happy birthday. What is this? Put them on. Put them on. Put them on. How does it look? Oh, that's weird. Look at the balloons. <laughs> Can you see with our eyes now, baby? Can you, what colors you see? Those. Those. You see colors now? Oh, the trees are neat. <laughs> 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 now you have rose-colored glasses, baby. <laughs> now you see with our eyes. <laughs> Oh my goodness. It doesn't look like mud. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like brighter mud. <laughs> well, what would you give to give the gift of sight, or in this case, the gift of color to someone? Now, you can buy those chroma glasses that, and again, this is beyond my brain power, but somehow corrects the eyes to help someone who has never seen color or maybe not seen color correctly, and it somehow adjusts and affects the way the eye sees what it sees so that the brain interprets things more correctly. Now, I was thinking about it this week, how as we come into a particular text here on Father's Day, we're going to be looking at a story, really two stories about blindness. In fact, if you kind of want to get a, a one-word meta-story or one-word sort of uh, synopsis of the entire first half of the gospel according to Mark, it is the word blindness. Because throughout the first half, you remember we said that Mark is 16 chapters divided into two halves, the first eight chapters Jesus answers the question who he is, that he is the king, he has authority over all things. That's why he's constantly casting out demons and healing the sick and raising the dead and doing things that no one else can do to demonstrate his authority in, in all things over all things. Jesus is king. 
But the problem is no one seems to get it. In fact, the only beings up until this point that know who Jesus is are the demons that Jesus has been casting out. Everyone's blind. Everyone has missed who Jesus is. And I wonder this morning, do you know anyone who could use some spiritual eyeglasses? Who needs just a little correction? Now, we know people, and maybe in this room this morning, there are some in here, you are spiritually blind. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just telling you what Scripture says. You do not yet see clearly because you don't have a way to see. It's not your fault. It's not because you are somehow, uh, you know, not, not trying. But here's the reality. Blind people cannot will themselves to see. It takes something outside of them to give them sight. There's some in here who are completely blind. There's others. You've, you've been given sight by Jesus Christ. You have been saved. You have been forgiven of your sins, and you are now walking with him. But you would say, man, I, I, I still don't see him as clearly as I want to. And how is it? And, and by the way, just here's the proof. Have you ever read a passage of Scripture that you've read 30 times over 30 years? And one day you read it again, and all of a sudden you... See what's on the page for the first time. We are all in this process. And so I want us just to look at two stories. The first one is the story of a healing. In fact, this is one of only two healings or two miracles that Mark records and no one else does. Only one of two. And after we read that, we're going to look at a story and a little interaction. Now, there are three verses that are sort of your key verses. If you want to take notes, I would encourage you to jot these three down. These are sort of the key verses, and these are all three question passages. Notice what Jesus says to the blind man. He's going to say, do you see anything? Then to his followers later, he will say, who do people say I am? And finally, he will say, I don't really care who other people say I am. Who do you say that I am? While these are three different worded questions, they all go back to the same underlying idea. Can you see clearly? And so we're going to walk through this together. And I want to give you three principles this morning. For spiritual sight. Three principles this morning for spiritual sight. Because wherever you are, wherever I am, we all have a next step along the continuum of spiritual growth and sight. So, if you want to jot this down, let me give you the first one real quick here. The first principle for spiritual sight is simply this. Spiritual sight begins with coming to Jesus. Spiritual sight begins with coming to Jesus. I know this may seem obvious if you've been in church for any length of time, but the reality is we can never forget the basics. That spiritual sight, the ability to see, cannot happen because you try harder, because you clean up better, because you do good deeds. None of that will give you spiritual sight. Rather, it's coming to Jesus. Look what happens here Beginning in verse 22, they, this is Jesus and his disciples, they came to Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida, we're going to look on a map here in a moment, but Bethsaida is in the top right, the northeast part of the Sea of Galilee. That is Peter's hometown. They're returning back to Bethsaida. This will be the last time that Jesus does any sort of public ministry, any sort of public uh, miracle 
before he takes a six-month break just with his disciples leading up to his crucifixion. And so they go back to Bethsaida, and some people, notice this, brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. In other words, this man could not heal himself. He needed the great physician to do the healing. And what's interesting about this is the man, he comes, and it's obvious that he is blind. In fact, today, if you were to walk down the street, as I did about two weeks ago, we were downtown Chattanooga looking around some of the sites, and I saw an individual who had some visual impairment. And I could tell because the person had a large stick and they were tapping along the street and there was another person sort of holding their arm to guide them, to direct them so they didn't stumble or fall. Physical blindness is obvious. It is difficult to fake if you are completely blind. But spiritual blindness is faked all the time, even in the church. I know no one wants to admit that, right? Just, shh, no, no. Spiritual blindness is one of those things that we often pretend like we have it all together. But here's the thing. Spiritual sight begins with coming to Jesus Christ. The disciples were spiritually blind, but they didn't know it. The Pharisees were spiritually blind, but they didn't know it. Some of us in this room are spiritually blind, but we don't know it. You say, well, how do I know if I'm spiritually blind, if I don't know that I'm spiritually blind? Let me give you a few things. If you have never repented of your sins, you are spiritually blind. If you have never called on the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're spiritually blind. If you today do not see the beauty of Jesus, the majesty of God, if you are not overwhelmed by who he is, then you have some visual spiritual stigmatism. There is some corrective work that needs to be done, and it all begins with coming to Jesus. You say, yeah, but I came to Jesus when I was 10. I came to Jesus when I was 15. came to Jesus when I was 30. You may need to come back to Jesus again to get your spiritual sight corrected. In fact, if you can't see, it's because 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us that the God of this age, this is our enemy, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see. By the way, I looked up this word in the Greek. Do you know what the word cannot means in the Greek? Cannot. Just, just so you know, you really can't. It's not just, they cannot. They cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? Here's the thing. If you have eyes to see, you will see Jesus as glorious, not simply some good guy or peasant preacher from Palestine. I don't have another P for that alliteration. Then you will see him for who he is if you have been given sight. Spiritual sight begins. By coming to Jesus. Now, let me show you one other thing here that I think is so interesting. Notice, the man does not stumble upon Jesus by himself, does he? Notice it says that some people brought this man. Some people loved him enough. Some people cared for him enough to take him to Jesus and then beg Jesus to heal the man. Now, here's the deal. I did not come to Jesus out of the blue. Rather, I had a mom and a dad who carried me to Jesus. I had Bible school teachers who carried me to Jesus. This morning as I sat in the pew, my daughter Emma 
gave me my very first Father's Day gift of the day. If you can't see it, it's a lollipop with a smiley face, I think. And either that's an awesome mustache or really big nose. I'm not sure, but it is really cool. And it says, you're a cool pop. Yeah, puns. Dad joke. Now, here's the thing about this. My wife and I are not the only ones who are at this point carrying our children to Jesus. There are teachers who are here who are carrying our children to Jesus. There are friends who are carrying them to Jesus. There are neighbors and teachers and friends. There are all sorts of people. But hear me now. The love you have will compel you to carry people to Jesus. And you know what I don't see in this passage? I don't see anywhere in this passage where they're saying, come on, get over there to Jesus. Can't you get your act together? Come on, just try a little harder. Can't you see? There's nothing in the text that says they're mad at the man for being blind. Why? Because he can't fix it. They don't get mad at him because he is blind. They simply take him to the great physician who can heal the blindness. Church, why is it that we get so mad at a culture for being blind when they can't fix their blindness? Instead, we should pray to God. We should come to him. We should carry our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers to Jesus because he is the one who gives spiritual sight. That's why in a few minutes when we have prayer time, I'm just, even now, I'm going to ask you, who is the person for whom you need to pray? Who is the person that you want God to bestow spiritual sight? Or maybe it's someone who already has sight, but they need to grow. Their, their sight is there, but it's a little blurry. We're going to have prayer time, and in a minute, we're going to give you a chance to do that here. But that's the first principle, that spiritual sight begins with coming to Jesus. Spiritual sight, principle number two is this, unless we admit we are spiritually blind, unless we admit we are spiritually blind, unless, see a theme here, we admit we are spiritually blind, we will never see clearly. I have some friends who are in the 12-step programs for various things, drugs, alcohol, other stuff. And they've told me, they said, Josh, the very first step is to admit that you have what? A problem. That until you say, I need help, while there may be help available, until I say, I need help, no help will be good enough because we have to admit We have to admit, we have to admit that we are spiritually blind. Notice what happens next. They bring the man to Jesus, and this is what happens. Jesus took the blind man. Notice how gentle this is. By the way, notice this. It says, by the hand. Some of you are scared to death, to be honest with Jesus, about what you've done, where you've been, how you've lived. You're scared because you're afraid he's going to hit you. Friend, when you come to Jesus saying, I need help, he doesn't hit you. He holds you by the hand and says, come with me. He is a good father. And he says this, and he led him outside the village. By the way, Bethsaida was known for being spiritually blind. It may be that you gained your sight. You need to separate from the places that are blind around you. He takes him from outside the village. When Jesus had spit on the man's eyes, 
Yuck. And had put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Here's the first question. Now, now, okay, let's just sort of pause for a moment here. We read through this. I want you to put yourself in this man's position. You haven't seen for years. Now, we know that he is probably not blind from birth because in verse 24, when Jesus asks the question, his response is, I see people, but they look like trees. So he knows something about people and trees. But Jesus takes this man, and, and you've heard of this miracle worker, this man who with but a touch can give you your sight, and you're going, yes, this is the best day of my life. I can't wait. He takes you outside the village, and there you're waiting for this moment where you can see and imagine if the first thing you hear from God himself is, I would be going, wait, 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 wait. I'm okay, I'm okay, I can see, it's a miracle, don't spit on me. But Jesus spits on his eyes, and he says, can you see anything? Now, here's what's interesting. The man says, I, I can sort of see, but the people, they look like trees in verse 24. Some of you are saying, well, why in the world did Jesus spit on the man? Okay, here you go. Nerd moments. In the ancient world, it was believed that some very, very religious people, Perhaps a good rabbi or someone like that had the ability to heal with their spit. And so you say, well, why would Jesus do this? There's a lot of different theories. Here's the one I kind of wonder. Is it possible that Jesus spits on the man's eyes and then asks them, do you see anything? Is it possible he does that as if to say... Before you will see the power of God at work, I want you to see what the very best hope you will ever have from human solutions. You keep running to other people, you keep running to other things, you keep running to other medicines, you keep running to all the stuff. Nothing will give you your sight except for the supernatural intervention of God himself. And I wonder if this is a way of saying, hey, you think spit's powerful? Fine. What do you see? Nothing? Great. Let's do this the right way. And so this man, he says, I I can see people, but they look like trees. Now, here's an interesting thing. In this moment, the man has a choice to make, doesn't he? When Jesus says, hey, do you see anything? He has two choices. Choice number one is to say, no, Jesus, I don't really see anything. Choice number two, and I would be tempted to have done this one. After I had spit in my eyes and he says, do you see anything? I'm thinking, I don't want another bit of that. So, so I, yeah, I see everything. It's crystal clear. I'm, I'm confident I can see everything. Is it possible that so many of us in here have been saved, but we have not seen clearly because of the fact we are unwilling to admit that we still need Jesus? You're here, you're sitting here, and you think, why is it that things are not different? Is it possible because you are pretending like you have it all together? Admitting that you can't see is the first step to Christ giving you your sight. Can you see? And I just think about this. If this man had said, yep, I can see brilliantly, he would have spent the rest of his life cutting down people and talking to trees. Some of you will get that later on the drive home today. (laughs) 
Spiritual sight begins with coming to Jesus. Then it's admitting, I can't see. Jesus, I want to see. And then the third principle is this. Notice what it says. Spiritual sight comes from God, and it requires his, this is the key word here, repeated touch. Spiritual sight comes from God and requires his repeated touch. I will say it one more time. Spiritual sight comes from who, church? That was so unconvincing this morning. Let's try this again. Spiritual sight comes from whom? And requires his repeated touch. This is what happens after Jesus has already spit in the man's eyes. And he says, can you see? And the man says, not really. Jesus, we're told, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Everything clearly, that it took a repeated touch for the man to see clearly. Understand that this moment is miraculous, but it's also a principle. The moment you confess your sins, you come in relationship with Jesus Christ in baptism, that very moment you are as saved as you'll ever be, friend. You cannot get more saved. But isn't it true that you grow from your salvation in the way you think, live, act, and behave? Isn't it true that we get better eyesight as we spend more time with Jesus? I don't know about you, but I need repeated touch from God in my life. Anyone else in here wish that they were just a little bit better with their relationship with God? That is depressing right there. I'm the only one who wishes to get better. Okay. The growth happens as he repeatedly touches us. I will touch you again. 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 Oh God, my mouth, it continues to say things I wish it would not say. I will touch it again. Oh God, my eyes, I look at things I wish I, I will touch it again. Oh God, these hands, they clench into fists and are not always used for healing. I will touch them again. He repeatedly touches them. You say, I don't know if I buy that. Okay, let's go to the next story. You're ready real fast. Jesus finishes up the ministry here and we move on north from Bethsaida to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Jesus has now just put the end to his public ministry. He spent about 9 to 12 months in lower Jerusalem in a place called Judea and then about 18 months up in the northern region called Galilee. That's where Bethsaida was a part. But now that part of his earthly ministry is over and he's going into a very intensive six-month boot camp with just his followers and he takes them very first thing from their hometown on a road trip to what was the sin city of their day, Caesarea Philippi. It's at about 25 miles north of Bethsaida here at the foot of Mount Hermon. I'll show you a picture of it. This is Mount Hermon. There's a cave there. It's still there today. This was a place of robust pagan worship. You say, why would Jesus take his followers to a pagan place to teach them about sight? Because this was a place of profound blindness. And sometimes we learn about our lack of sight when we move out of our own homes and our own comfort zones. Sometimes it takes God relocating us to get greater sight for the future. And so... He takes them up to this area, to this place. This place was Caesarea Philippi. There were towns surrounding it. Now, it was named after Caesar, the king or the ruler of the Roman Empire, and Philip II, who ruled that vicinity. He was one of the four sons of Herod the Great. He was a tetrarch, one of four. 
And so when he made this area, he called it Caesarea Philippi, named it after Caesar and himself. He moved his, his headquarters there. And as he did, it became a place of pagan worship. There were gods and temples galore. This area, this temple, or rather this cave, was believed to be the entrance to the underworld. Because in the ancient world, the belief was that hell, Hades, was in the ground, was in the earth. And so this place became known as the gates of hell. This will become familiar when you read Matthew's account of this event. The waters from Mount Hermon would fall down and come into this pool, and they, would, they were incredibly deep. And what they would do is they would offer sacrifices into the water. The animal would go down, and the pressure would burst the animal, and blood would come up, and they would assume it was an acceptable sacrifice. And this water was actually one of the heads that would go down the Jordan River and eventually get into the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent much of his time. That little hole right there, there used to be a giant temple to one God in particular. His name was Pan. Not Peter Pan, but Pan. Pan, if you have seen this, he's the God that has the goat legs, but the man body, and he plays the little wooden flute. Pan, the God. And according to legend, Pan loved to terrify the shepherds, and he would scare them to death. And so he would throw them, this is where we get our word, panic. Pan, the God, would scare them into a panic. And so Jesus takes them up here to this place of rampant pagan worship where everyone is blind, and Jesus asks them the question. He says, who do people say I am? Okay, you've just seen a man who was blind. I gave him sight. Now I want to ask you spiritually, who do people say I am? And they begin to give all sorts of answers. They reply, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah, one of the old prophets. And still others, one of the general prophets, maybe Jeremiah or one of the others. So they're saying, you know, a lot of people have different views of you. And you say, well, why did they have so many different views of Jesus? Because they were blind. Our culture is no less blind. How often do we hear people say that Jesus was a good man, but he was not the God man? How often do we hear people talk about Jesus in the historic sense, but they don't speak of him as deity? How often do we read the words of Jesus, but we modify them for our contemporary culture? It's because our culture is blind. Who do people say I am? And then Jesus, then Jesus, he asks them the most important question. He asks them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? See, it's not enough to tell Jesus who your mama thinks he is or who your grandfather thinks Jesus is. It's not enough to say, well, my preacher says this is who you are or this is what my school teacher tells me you are. Jesus looks at each one of us and he says, okay, friend, who do you say that I am? Because what you say is most important about you. And so he's now saying, okay, you've been with me for months and months. Who am I? Do you see anything? Do you see anything? And I love this. I love Peter. Peter says, you are the, what's this word, church? Christ, Christos, Messiah. In the Old Testament, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one was the one who would be the king of kings to come. All kings were anointed, but Messiah, this word that we have now translated in Greek as Christos or Christ, 
the anointed one was going to be the one who'd fix everything. He'd get rid of the Romans. He'd get rid of the barbarians. He'd get rid of all the foreign powers. He would get rid of the paganism. He would restore the kingdom of Israel. And Peter loved that idea. He said, Jesus, you are the king. When do we grab our swords? I'm ready. Let's do this. Peter sees just partly, doesn't he? He doesn't yet have the full picture. And so Jesus does with him what he did with the blind man. He has to touch him again. So Jesus, we're going to just have to summarize here, but Jesus begins to predict his death and he begins to explain that he will not be a king who comes with a sword, but one who will be nailed to a cross. And Peter, oh, Peter, I love Peter. He says, no way, no how. Get yourself straight, Jesus. That's not happening to you. And do you remember what Jesus says to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You talk about a bummer of a day. He goes from, you're the Messiah, to, I am now Satan. Now, if you go to Matthew's account in chapter 16, what ends up there, we get a little more detail. Peter doesn't just say, you're Messiah. He says, you are the Son of God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. You didn't hear about that because men taught you. You know that because God himself taught you. Here's what he's saying. Spiritual sight, as we saw with physical sight, spiritual sight is only granted by God. And if you are blind, it only comes, sight only comes from Jesus Christ. And he says, I'll touch you again, Peter. I'll touch you again. I'll touch you again. I'll touch you again. When I was just a little guy, my parents gave me this t-shirt. I love this little shirt. I saved it for my son, but it was, it was uh, too small by the time I got it around to giving it to him. On it, it has a picture of like a lima bean with a face, of course, because every lima bean has a face, evidently. And the lima bean is there smiling, but underneath it, it says, give me a break. I'm just a human being. And I thought it was so clever. I thought it was cute. Another dad joke. I thought about this. I thought, you know, sometimes, and I just want to say this to some of you. Some of you in here, you are feeling beaten up because you are not where you wish you were. And you've been in this ongoing process of self-improvement, of doing more, of trying harder, when all you needed to do is just turn back to the one who saved you and say, give me sight, Jesus. See, here's what happens when you fail. When I fail, what I tend to do is run from Jesus and say, I will clean myself up. I'll get it figured out. When all we're supposed to do is say, ah, I need more. Running off trying to fix me has not fixed anything. Running to Jesus will fix everything. And here is the bottom line this morning. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. You are a work in process. You need sight given, and it only comes by Jesus. You just return to him, say, touch me again, touch me again, touch me again, touch me again. And as he does, you will become who he has called you to be.